0: This is season two of Florida Man Murders. If you thought season one was crazy, whoa. We got some serious banana bunker shit in store for you all for season two. We're talking about killer cults, beheadings, murderous Florida historical figures, killer kids. I mean, kids! What's more terrifying than a child killer? And we'll also get into the big ones. The Danny Rowling killing spree, the Adam Walsh case, and even the Black Dahlia. And so much more. But before we begin, I want to ask you for a quick favor. If you haven't already, please rate and review Florida Man Murders wherever you get this pod. Just hit the 5 stars and then write whatever you want in the review. Why you dig us, your favorite episode, your favorite host, or maybe even suggest a killer Florida story we haven't covered yet. Or ask us a question we can answer in a future episode. Whatever floats your boat. Just write something. Rating and reviewing really helps more people find the pod, and that really helps us. So please do that if and when you can. All right. Thanks. Now on with the show.
1: You're listening to The Florida Man Murders, a true crime comedy podcast about murder, madness, mayhem and other shady shit that goes down in the sunshine state. Each week, your hosts, Chris, Roger, and Siege, take you on a dark, twisted journey through the bowels of the most wretched fiends and nefarious events throughout the history of Florida. And then make inane, quote-unquote, funny observations about it all, like the half-soused nitwits that they are. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the crazy, if you dare.
0: Dateline Miami,
2: 1980 to
0: 1992, July 28th, 1955, Robert Bob Ernest Rozier was born in Anchorage, Alaska. Since his father was in the Air Force, Rozier's family moved around a lot until they settled in Sacramento, California, where there used to be an Air Force base. Uh, as a teenager, Rosier attended Cordova High School, where he was an athletic standout. He was faster, stronger, and more athletic than pretty much all the other students at the school. So basically, me.
2: Just like Siege. <laughs> yeah, just like Siege. <laughs> uh,
0: he was a hulking six foot three, 240 pound kid. And because of this, Rosier was encouraged to join the Cordova High football team where he became a standout defensive end. Rozier was eventually named All League, All Conference, All Northern California, and he was recruited by the University of California, Berkeley, the Golden Bears. So both Rozier's coach uh, and his teammate, future Cowboy Packer and Jet Ralph Deloach, called Bob Rozier, quote, the best athlete on the University of California team
3: at the time. Not sure I'm really following... Rob DeLoach's assessment of anything <laughs> with his illustrious career. Yeah, <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. I played two
0: games. <laughs> in 1979, Rozier was drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals in the ninth round of the NFL draft. Uh, this was the same draft that uh, produced Joe Montana and Phil
2: Sims. This is a football podcast network. <laughs> yes. Did we mention that? 1982 draft exclusively.
3: <laughs> See, kids, the Cardinals were originally in St. Louis, and then they moved to <laughs> and Phoenix, they became the Rams. where they were called the Phoenix Cardinals. And, and the Rams became the St. Louis Glendale. team. And then and they, they went to LA. Arizona. And then they Rams. Arizona. And then they went
0: back yeah. to Rams. <laughs>
3: And in the
2: in, back in those days there were 24 rounds. So let's start with the first first round, first
0: pick. Pete Rosell. Uh, being that this was the late 70s, early 80s, Rosier eventually picked up a couple of questionable habits. Mainly You don't say he loved cocaine.
2: Yeah, Me well, too.
0: Baby.
2: Knew that was coming.
0: I mean, he loved this shit out of cocaine.
2: Rosier <laughs> I mean, I kind of share something in common with him already. Siege <laughs> has the athleticism. I've got the cocaine interest. I mean, this guy seems great so far. What could go wrong? Is
3: this me? Was this me? <laughs>
0: Rosier loved cocaine so much, he spent pretty much all his money on it. This led to Rosier developing another bad habit. Passing around bad checks so that he could buy more
3: cocaine. I like. This you could do that back then.
2: Oh yeah, bad checks. Just yeah. Right here, I got the money. Right write it up. Yeah. Right.
3: yeah. Can you imagine buying cocaine with a check? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Dealers got wise to it after after a while. Right? Yeah, after a few yeah, thousand dollars. Can't do dollars it anymore. <laughs>
0: So, his Rozier's drug addiction and money problems quickly turned him into a pariah in the locker room. He was called Lion Bob by his teammates, which is a shitty nickname just because yeah. it's not clever.
2: Could have done Bobcat. Could Bobcat have been, would have been better. Cokehead. Or... <laughs> something. Yeah.
0: Bob the nose. White,
2: white lion.
0: <laughs> right. Right.
2: <laughs>
0: Ultimately, he would wind up playing in a total of six games for the Cardinals before being cut. Uh, Iron Man. These guys are not <laughs> Even with all that cocaine, he couldn't fucking hack being on the field, right?
2: I mean, shit, Dan Marino got to the end. Oh, sorry. he had a Hall of Fame career. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so they say, <laughs> allegedly. Uh, so Rozier then tried out for the Canadian Football League. He tried out for the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Saskatchewan Roughriders. Uh, but Rosier was eventually busted for passing twenty thousand to thirty thousand dollars worth of bad checks in Canada. <laughs> have checks in Canada too, huh? Yeah. Uh, Rosier had eventually earned himself thirty-two warrants against him in Canada, all for fraud. A lot of checks, man. That's carpal tunnel syndrome of writings worth of checks. <laughs> thirty fucking thousand dollars.
2: I gotta finish writing these checks, man. We gotta get more. Uh, Don't forget to put the memo, what it's for. <laughs> oh yeah. Cocaine. For uh for cocaine. Yeah, for uh Rozier <laughs>
0: Rosier had eventually had oh I read that part. Uh this for this forced Rosier to move back to the US. He just ran away from Canada. Uh, he went back to the U.S. and then he signed with the Oakland Raiders. And he lasted two weeks with the Raiders before being cut and he never played it down for them. His professional football career was pretty much over. So in 1982, broke, and with his career and life in shambles, Rozier flew down to Miami where he could try to get more cocaine and while there, he met a man who would change his life. The man's name was Hulon Mitchell Jr. Hulon Mitchell Jr. was born on October 27, 1935 in Oklahoma. He was one of 15 children. Hulon was raised in an extremely strict religious family. Uh, The Mitchells were very Pentecostal, speaking in tongues, flopping around, demon possession, shit like that. When either he or any of his siblings acted up or didn't obey the Bible, his father would beat them severely. So in 1960, when he was older, Hulon decided to move out, and he moved to Atlanta to join the Civil Rights Movement. While in Atlanta, however, Hulon was taken in by the Rosicrucianisms. The Rosicrucianism is basically like a dollar store Scientology. Ah, that's a tough, tough name. Um, yeah. It's, 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 a real tongue, it's a tongue twister. Yeah,
2: That's why Scientology twister, did guys. better because
0: it's easier to say. It it's all about marketing and branding. That's it. Then getting Tom Cruise. And getting um, celebrities
2: on their side.
0: So basically they would require you to send them a couple of hundred bucks just to join. And then when you did that, they got, they sent you literature via the mail. Uh, where you were taught the varying degrees of Rosicrucianism, which included um, mental alchemy, telepathy, telekinesis, cosmic projection, shit like that. Uh, basically, a wizard. You pay two hundred dollars to become a wizard through the mail.
2: Where Where do I send my check? Who do I make it out to? <laughs> what do I put in the memo?
3: How do you spell that? Yeah. For, for telekinesis, how do you how do you spell that? I'm more interested in the brain alchemy. I want to turn my brain into
0: gold. <laughs> brain alchemy is amazing. Uh,
3: when Hulon's wife found out all about this,
0: she left him.
2: Uh...
0: <laughs> <laughs> how dare she? As women
2: <laughs> are wont to do yeah. from time to time. What is the problem? It sounds Are you leaving?
0: I'm out of here. Uh, so at this point, uh, Hulon turned to the Nation of Islam, where he converted to Islam, and he renamed himself Hulon X.:
2: No, no creativity there.
0: <laughs> Hulon. Uh, sorry, that's taken. Um, in 1967, Hulon opened a Nation of Islam temple in Atlanta. And soon after, however, he was accused of stealing $50,000 from the temple and, even worse, he was accused of molesting multiple children in the temple. So, Hulon dipped the fuck out and quit the Nation of Islam, although at the time he claimed he quit because he felt like he was going to be assassinated like Malcolm X was.
2: Yeah, just because your name is Hulon X. <laughs>
0: yeah. And not at all because he ganked 50K and molested yeah, some kids. nothing to do with that. So he's exactly You're like Just me. like Malcolm X. <laughs> so, Hulon <laughs> changed his name back from Hulon X. He went back to Christianity, and he became a faith healer.
2: Hulon Christ? <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: stay tuned. He, he partnered up with another faith healer. And they started their own Prosperity Gospel radio show. He started a podcast. On this radio show, Helon would promise to send his listeners winning lottery numbers
2: for a fee. <laughs> Wait um, a second. He was actually on the radio? Like, it wasn't like a pirate radio thing? It was like AM? He managed to get yeah, something was, on like that. Yeah, it was probably
0: AM. It probably AM, the religious area in AM. That's, the a. M. that's when you get the
2: good listeners, man. That's the good listeners. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's that Orlando radio show. ranked real quick back in the day. <laughs> so uh, his thing was the more money you'd send, the more num- lottery <laughs> numbers you'd get from him. Um, but soon people were on to his bullshit, obviously because nobody was winning the lottery, uh, even though they were sending him hundreds and hundreds of dollars, him and his partner. So it angered at least one person enough to... They showed up to the uh, to his partner's house and shot him dead.
2: Holy fuck! Um, yeah, that shit turned Hulan, pretty Hughon, shit's getting serious, man. This is, you're gonna get some serious. I mean, you're good.
0: <laughs> um, so Hulon was now forced to hire bodyguards. He he ditched the radio show and he opened his own church. Uh, Hulon's ministry grew very quickly. He began taking in big money with his prosperity gospel
2: message huh this is maybe starting Uh, to come together for me yeah
0: yeah. all right so i think a lot of people are kind of coming around so uh, but seeing him no returns from god uh, from their investments his parishioners soon turned on Helon and he was forced to run away again this time he headed for orlando (laughs) where he became a street preacher And in Orlando, Hulon managed to gather more followers, and he renamed himself again, calling himself Father Mitchell. Father Mitchell. Yeah. In 1978, Hulon claimed that God told him to move out of Orlando and head down to Miami to start a black Israelite church. Uh, Black Israelites believe that African Americans are the true descendants of the ancient Israelites, and the extreme fringe of that group believe any black person who works for whites in any way is an Uncle Tom. Um, MLK's mother, for example, Martin Luther King's mother, was assassinated by a black Israelite
2: in
3: 1974. I did I know that. Um, yeah. Wait, are these, these are yeah. the same dudes that were like all uh, ganging up for Kyrie? Correct. This is, this, story, this is the origin story of Kyrie Irving. <laughs> uh, if you haven't figured it this out is, by now. So Kyrie Irving. <laughs> uh, yeah, because they also believe that
0: Jews are devilish imposters. So it's all that shit that he was spewing in that movie he was talking about. In 1980 in Miami, Arthur McDuffie, a black insurance salesman, was pulled over by four white cops and beaten to death. An all-white jury acquitted the cops, and this led to the 1980 Miami riots. Um, Something we'll probably get into here on the Florida Man Murders someday. Um, So, Hulon used the tragedy and the injustice of McDuffie's death and the riots to stoke anger amongst his followers. He exploited people's anger over the death of an innocent black man at the hands of racist cops to grow his congregation even larger, and it worked. That Plus, his charisma helped him gain even more followers. So he wanted to preach the only, that only God through him could deliver them from the brutality of the white man. Soon, he began preaching that only he could deliver them from the brutality of the white man. And soon, parishioners were ordered to show loyalty by cutting off family members who were not members of their church He told the men to grow out their beards and the women to stop using hair straighteners, uh, products. He ordered them all to reject their white-given names and to take on a new surname, Israel. So, Hulon renamed himself again, calling himself Hulon Israel. All right. Um, His doctrine became that only through him God's chosen messenger, could salvation come? And more congregants joined, which meant more money was given to the church. Uh, and then, one day, Hulon claimed that he wasn't actually just the messenger of God, he was God. And, once again, Hulon changed his name. This time, he was to be called Yahweh Ben Yahweh. Yeah There it is!
2: We have arrived. There it is. I, uh, I had a sense when we were like thirty percent. I was like, "Wait a fucking <laughs> second. Yeah,
3: we have found the origin story.
2: <laughs> yeah, shit started to creep up in my like yep. young brain. Like, yep. man. Oh uh, I hadn't thought of Yahweh, but Yahweh. In years. I know. I was literally <laughs> to so say, crazy. I haven't
3: even heard that name in probably two decades. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, I, uh,
2: quick story. My My dad used to sell cigarettes when I was, like, really little, like three or four. Yeah. And his uh, area of coverage was, like, Liberty City and, Mm. you know, and those types of areas and stuff. Yeah, (laughs) pretty pretty hot spot. And uh, so we'd go to, like, markets that they had that were just all like Yahweh Ben Yahweh owned and affiliated markets. And it was like, as a little kid, like you'd see them all dressed in white and stuff. Yep. So it's like, where are we? (laughs) Little Roger. Yeah. Uh... It was, was, uh, it was intense. Holy shit. That's wild. Yeah. Kind of like very early memory.
0: Yeah. So Yahweh Ben Yahweh, which literally means God, son of God. Um, and he named their group the Nation of Yahweh. Uh, as Roger alluded to, the group was required to wear all white at all times. White robes, white shoes, and white turbans. The Miami white parties begin. Yeah. So <laughs> by the end of 1980, Hulon had collected enough money to open a temple headquarters. He moved the congregation into a converted warehouse in Liberty City. And he repainted it, and they cleaned it up. They fixed the plumbing. They painted black biblical characters on the interior walls along with a futuristic city with UFOs in the sky. Perfect. Which I, don't, I don't Those, those things all match.
2: <laughs> I mean, if you're Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> got Jewish space lasers. Right,
0: right. You know, Everything all, but yeah. all the black people she can get down yeah. with. Her. Yeah. Uh, I like this place, but too many black
3: people. <laughs> um, <laughs> get rid of them.
2: Literally a hundred percent of the people. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So on uh, ordered the members to move in into the temple and live there, uh, and he called the temple the Temple of Love.
2: It's a dope name. Dope name. Temple of no, Love. No problems with that. Yeah, <laughs> it's a Chili Pepper song coming up. Don't like <laughs> that's gonna be
3: the next
2: album. <laughs> temple of Love. <laughs> <laughs> temple <of> baby. <laughs> uh,
0: outside the temple, Hulon and his uh, parishioners were seen as good citizens. They replenished dilapidated black neighborhoods. They opened grocery stores and medical clinics and cleaned up uh, drug addled areas in the temple. Hulon began sneaking off with female congregants, including some of the men's wives. He had multiple orgies with these women. When confronted with, uh, with this by angry husbands, Hulon claimed he was celibate and that he was only meeting with the women for personal Bible studies. <laughs> right. It's a good story. It's a good story, man. Um, it would later be revealed that Hulon had sex with virtually every female member of the ten- of the temple. Uh, unfortunately, including some as young as 10 years of age. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. Um, at least one former member said he had sex with her and another girl at the same time when the two girls were still pre pubescent. Hulon also taught procreation and midwife classes to his followers Among his teachings, Hulon taught younger temple members to start making babies as soon as they reached puberty. He told the women of the temple to blow into another pregnant woman's vagina, explaining that this was how one gives proper oxygen to an unborn baby.
2: This guy's just a freak, man. He just wanted to see some freaky dicky shit, like... Blow into her vagina.
0: So he would also show the male parishioners porn, and the porn consisted of white women having sex with animals. He would say uh, that he would show the men this in order to teach them not to lust after white women.
2: I've also seen those,
0: and... uh... (laughs) Could have just told him, don't lust after white women. You don't have to go through this. Yeah, you now. don't
2: really have to see the, the chick give the horse a blow job. And then what happens after that, you
0: know, <laughs> German shepherd or whatever. Yeah.
2: German shepherd. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: so he had the men's, he also had the men's uh, dick and balls regularly examined to make sure they were clean. Uh, whenever the temple got new adult male converts that moved into the temple, Hulon presided over mass Circumcisions, hey, Yay. Mm. Hey. uh, yeah, this is great. Like this is great.
2: Like young, young, like little young, or no, like even
0: adult male, just like adult, dudes in like their twenties and twenties. Yeah, yeah, who just now to need to get the snips. Even crazier, the circumcisions were performed by Hulon's twelve-year-old nephew, which is <laughs> oh, fucking God. random and what what. How has <laughs> This is crazy, man. That's got to hurt. 12-year-old kid snipping your dick. Um, yeah. Hulon ordered the congregation to be up every morning at 5 a.m. for Bible studies. And he assigned 10, quote, strong young men to enforce temple rules with big wooden clubs called the Staffs of Life. On one occasion, a man... I can do uh, that. ...suspicious that his wife had been sleeping with Hulon. So... He was suspicious of that, and then one day he overheard his wife telling another female parishioner that she preferred men with big dicks. Uh, the husband suspected that he was not the person she was talking about <laughs> guy. so he yeah, I double, wonder what brought him there
3: <laughs> double like
0: she might be sleeping with this guy. I do have a small dick, hmm.
2: Wait, how does she know she likes big dicks? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've been fucking. (laughs) Really, should have called. Jesus. Uh,
0: So the man confronted his wife in front of the congregation. Uh, Hulon then accused the man of being obsessed with sex and ordered him beaten by the strong young men with their staffs of love.
2: Um, he's beating he's beating the women with his staff of love. <laughs> this is, yeah, exactly. That's out of control. He's got guy uh, is yeah. out of control.
0: One of the men who was like the part of the group that had carried around the staffs of love and beat this guy was a parishioner named uh, Nehriah Israel. This man was a former defensive end for the St. Louis Cardinals, man formerly named Bob Rozier.
2: Bob. Welcome back, Bob. Good. Is Bob Rozier? Bob Lion? Bob. Welcome back, Bob. Um, The muscle. Yeah, he's a muscle. Is Rozier related to Mike Rozier? That's what I was thinking, too, when I
3: first heard him say Rozier. I don't think so. I don't think so. Oh, um, going off a Tecmo bone.
0: So the-, the man's beating and his accusations caused many of the parishioners to question Hulon's teachings. They were like, this guy, I don't know about this guy.
2: <laughs> yeah, you're going to lose some par- parishioners if you're fucking the women and beating them for it.
0: Uh, so some of the parishioners began to investigate Hulon on their own. And through those investigations, they discovered that he had indeed been accused of sexually molesting girls in his Nation of Islam temple back in Atlanta several years ago. One of the men, a man named Eric Burke, confronted Hulon with a gun. He drove to the temple and he fired the gun in the air, and demanding Hulon come out and face him. But Hulon never did. That night, Hulon sent his strongmen armed with machetes to Eric Burke's house. Burke fired his gun in their direction, sending the men running away. And then Burke moved out of town. Um, which is <laughs> he, he sent them with knives, knowing this guy had a gun. Yeah. So, good. Good, good. stuff. <laughs> Following these incidents, Hulon decided to travel the country in a white limo to spread his teachings. He went on tour. He went on tour.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I. I have like an old tour T shirt of it. It's great. <laughs> he, he went all over the place. Yahweh ben
0: Yahweh, 1980. <laughs> tour.
2: 1985 tour. <laughs> Speed of sound.
0: Sportatorium. Hollywood Sportatorium. Sportatorium. Yes. Um,
2: <laughs> the edge. The edge. Oh for my mail. So, November 13th,
0: 1981. A construction worker was driving into a work site near the Everglades, and he spotted a lump of sheets in an open field. He got out of his truck to move the sheets out of the way. He kicked the sheets with a foot, and he felt a thud. He crouched down. He unwrapped the sheets. In the sheets, he found a dead body. The body belonged to a black man. The body had no head. So the cops were called and in examining the body, all they could find was a set of keys. There was no wallet or identification. The body appeared to have been severely beaten, including ligature marks on the wrists and bruises consistent from being kicked. The neck showed wounds that indicated that the head had been chopped off with a dull blade. About five feet away from where the body had been dumped, investigators spotted another lump of bloody sheets. Inside those sheets, they found the victim's
2: severed head. So wait, he was dressed in the sh- the white guard sheets? No, the
0: body was wrapped in the sheets. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so it
2: wasn't like yeah. he was
0: wearing No, no, no. He, I think he was wearing regular clothes, or he might have been naked, but he was wrapped and just dumped, and his head was dumped five yeah. feet away. Um, Got it. So, when they, you know, they looked at the head and the face had also badly been damaged from what appeared to have been a severe beating. Uh, police immediately determined that the killing had been recent. And that there was very little effort by the killer to hide the body or the identity of the victim. Said Miami-Dade detective John King at the time, quote, there was no attempt to hide or prevent identification because the killer left the head at the scene. Usually, when you're trying to prevent a victim's identification, you would take the other body parts, such as the hands or the head. This seemed like a ritualistic uh, murder more than anything else. I like how to give tips on how to hide the
2: identity of <laughs> victim. <and laughs> yeah, because he's a fucking cop in Miami <laughs> yeah. in the 80s. They've seen every type of fucking murder. He's <laughs> yeah. like... Uh, and probably yeah. have this done is, yeah, a good yeah. majority of them. Yeah, too. exactly. <laughs> so he's kind of like,
3: um, I'm just going to tell you flat out, you shouldn't do this. If you're going to listen do it, here, it's bad. you need <laughs> to take the head, take the head, take the hands. Do it. Take them with you. This guy was sloppy. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Don't be like this guy. Be better. <laughs> I believe in you, Miami. <laughs> the, the headless <laughs> victim would
0: soon be identified as 24-year-old Aston Green. So Aston's mother told investigators that her son had recently turned to religion, and the last time she had seen him, she cooked a meal for him, and Aston had specifically requested a vegetarian meal in accordance with his newfound beliefs taught to him by his new church. She told him that her son seemed very zealous about this church, which preached a strict code of behavior and practices. She told investigators that Aston had moved out of her house a year ago and moved into the church's temple. She also told them that Aston had recently moved out of the temple and into an apartment with a married couple from the church. Cops visited that house, uh, but no one was home. Using the key they had found on Aston's body, cops went inside the home. A sweep of the house found loads of pamphlets, literatures, and books from Aston's church, the Black Hebrew Israelites, also known as the Nation of Yahweh. Investigators found a machete that had been tucked on the side of the sofa, and they also found a phone number that they had traced to another house two miles away. At that house, they found a group of parishioners from the Nation of Yahweh, including the man who had lived with Aston, a man named carlton Carey,
3: isn't that great back in the day that you could just find a phone number and just go there (laughs) like now now it'd be like crack the case yeah now you can't just bust into somebody's contact list you've got you've got like a sheet of paper written out (laughs) with just like you know 305 dot 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 dot. (laughs)
0: it's just like this must be the guy (laughs) it's written in pencil yeah (laughs) he called this guy um the people, uh, the people the cops found in this house also told investigators that they, like Aston Green, had grown increasingly disillusioned with the church and its leader, claiming that the teaching skewed too much to an all-out devotion to him, a man who called himself God on Earth. Carlton Carey and his wife, Mildred, were then brought to the police station and interviewed about this, the church and its leader. The Carries told him that the church had been founded by a man named Hulon Mitchell Jr. And that Mitchell eventually changed his name to Yahweh ben Yahweh, which means God, son of God. Um, <laughs> Kerry was hesitant to say anything more, telling the investigators that he feared reprisals from Yahweh ben Yahweh for talking to the cops. So he couldn't get any more out of them. The cops allowed him to go home. Kerry and Mildred drove home, and when they got there... Four masked men were waiting for them inside, armed with handguns. The couple had been ambushed. Uh, Carrie was shot point-blank in the head. Mildred was shot in the chest and also had her throat slashed with a machete.
2: Just for
3: good measure.
0: Neighbors called the police, forcing the men to flee. And when the cops arrived at the home, they found that Mildred was still alive. Miraculously, Mildred survived and she recuperated from her wounds and she told investigators that she and her husband had driven past their house several times to make sure they weren't followed. She said her assailants were wearing masks, but she was certain they were from the nation of Yahweh and they were sent there to kill them for speaking to the cops. But there was nothing to tie any of this back to Hula. Meanwhile... The nation of Yahweh had spread to several other states and had a net worth of over $50 million. So money was made from parishioners' contributions, but big bucks came from their own manufactured goods, such as Yahweh Ben Yahweh brand hair care products, Yahweh Ben Yahweh tonics, Yahweh Ben Yahweh beer, Yahweh Ben Yahweh wine, and Yahweh yawy t-shirts
2: don't hear cigarettes in there so they stole me. dad was Your dad was, up. Your dad was <laughs> up, man no <laughs> no uh,
3: <laughs> also like the t-shirts the yeah. merch Fucking I love crazy. how I love how he was uh, like, "Don't use any more relaxer in your hair. Use my brand, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the same thing as don't drink alcohol, yeah. but they're selling alcohol with his yeah. face on. Yeah, right. This is God beer. Did they call it Yahweh beer? Yahweh. <laughs> yeah.
0: I should have. That's a missed opportunity. Write that down. Um, the Liberty City <laughs> Temple of Love grew to twelve thousand members. Making Hulon even more money, members were overworked, working as much as 18 hours a day, and pretty much unpaid. Uh, They were given a daily ration of food, one apple, one orange, and one pear. Uh, Nice. Sometimes they were given a can of bean. Uh, Hulon used most of his earnings to invest in real estate, buying and renovating apartment complexes in low-income neighborhoods. He basically became a slumlord. He (laughs) cleaned up the parts of the city he owns with intimidation and death threats. Drug dealers and petty thieves stopped committing crimes anywhere near there was a nation property or they would face retribution. The Temple of Love became a huge corporation and Hulon was praised by local Miami politicians as an upstanding citizen because he was viewed as someone who hated black criminality and drug addicts as much as they did. Mm -hmm. Mm, Miami. (laughs) So with the group spanning across other states and the Aston Green murder still open, the FBI began to investigate the Nation of Yahweh. One weekend, the nation visited Daytona Beach and began going door-to-door to find new converts in order to open a temple there. But many of the locals didn't want them there and chased them out of town. Later that night, a group of masked men firebombed the neighborhood that had chased them away. And the fire injured a couple of people, including a nine-year-old baby. A nine-month-old baby, sorry. Nine-year-old baby. (laughs) I was going to say, that's an old-ass baby. (laughs) He's
2: a baby in my eyes. He's always been a baby, so he's nine now. It's fine.
0: Still breastfeeds at nine. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so a nine-month-old baby was injured in the fire. Um, One day, an informant, unhappy that a baby had been harmed in the fire, he paid a visit to the uh, FBI offices in Miami and admitted to not only taking part in the Aston Green murder, but claiming he knew why he was killed. He told the FBI that Aston had begun questioning Hulon's authority and teachings in front of the others and was ordered to be dealt with to silence him. Aston was taken outside of the courtyard of the temple and was beaten severely by Hulon's strong men. Aston was thrown into a van and driven out to the Everglades where one of the men beheaded him with a machete. The informant said that he watched the beheading from the van and he said that it took the man over 20 times to hack off Aston's head due to the dullness of the machete blade.
3: Jesus Christ, did they not have a oh filador in like Nobody. fucking. And that's only in Kendall and Hylia, man. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, no. A, a, a The ice cream truck of scissors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Come outside,
0: bring your knives <laughs> to me, everyone. The informant also said that following Aston's execution, Hulon held a rally to celebrate, quote, the infidels' destruction. Uh, But this rally did not sit well with a lot of the members, although at this point they dared not express their disapproval out of fear. With Aston's death and the attack on the Carries, Yahweh Ben Yahweh had effectively silenced any more dissenters. Hulon's paranoia only grew more intense. Two years later, in 1983, a young man named Leonard Dupree moved from New Orleans to Miami, and joined the Nation of Yahweh. Dupree was a black belt in karate, because it's the 1980s. (laughs) (laughs) Because Um, it's the 1980s, and of course he is. Yeah, man. (laughs) Everyone's doing karate. But Dupree was a badass. He was a black belt, and, Mm -hmm. um, and because of this, it was widely speculated among Hulon and his personal bodyguards that Dupree had been sent by the FBI or the CIA to assassinate him. So at this point, Yahweh Ben-Yahweh is just a paranoid motherfucker. Um, So Dupree was confronted by Hulon over this in front of 70 of the temple members. Dupree denied that he was an assassin and pledged his devotion to Yahweh Ben-Yahweh. In front of everyone, Dupree offered to kiss Hulon's feet to show supplication. But rather than accept Dupree's gesture... Hulon ordered Dupree to fight one of his bodyguards. Uh, Dupree, being a black belt, knocked the bodyguard out cold in just a matter of seconds. Just cold cocked and the guy dropped like a bag damn. of shit. Unfortunately, Hulon became enraged when this happened, and he ordered a gang of his strongest followers to get Dupree. He was like, get him.
2: Um, so it became so like... That quote. So, like, Roman. Reco- oh, yeah. Roman, all of a sudden. Like, classical. <laughs> like, fucking Nero-type shit. Colosseum. Get him! <laughs> Insolent.
0: Dupree was attacked by a, the gang of men, and one of the men was wielding a tire iron and began to beat Dupree across the head again and again until his skull was crushed. Another <sighs> devotee jammed a broomstick into Dupree's eye socket.
3: Um... Yeah. yeah. Dupree's, what kind of Dupree's pants and underwear sorry, sorry, what kind of like hypnosis do you have to be under to like go this hard for like just some dude? An apple, an orange, a pear, and like the occasional kidney bean. And for for the guy that's probably fucking your wife, too, by the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: Lest we forget. Um <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so Dupree was beaten to shit. Uh, his pants and his underwear were then removed from his bloody, battered, dead body. Hulon ordered every follower present, including the women and children, to line up and hit Dupree's corpse with a stick. He then ordered everyone to go back into their rooms and lock their doors. And Hulon said to the group, quote, No one here tells what happened or the same will happen to you.
2: Dupree's body was. This may be a, a maybe a dumb question, but what were, what was the uh, parameters around possibly leaving the nation of Yahweh? Like you're like, you know what? That's enough yeah. for me. I'm I'm gonna go. Just gonna go. Right. I'm sure. I'm sure you could just walk out and well, be fine. Uh, that's what right? that
0: happened to that couple. And, and Brian Austin, Green. Green. Or Austin Green. Anyone who showed any kind of dissent were killed. Yeah. Brian Austin Green. All of them. Yeah. Um Dupree's body was then rolled up in a carpet and dumped in an unknown canal, and it was it's never been recovered. Following the murders of Aston Green, Carlton Carey, Leonard Dupree, and the confrontation with Eric Burke, Hulon formed an elite squad of what he called his Death Angels to combat against more impending rebellion. Hulon declared before the congregation that, quote, anyone who blasphemes the name of Yahweh must be put to death. Hulon's death angels was for young, strong men only. These men had to be willing to kill at a moment's notice without hesitation. And only a select few would be allowed to join. It's like but the... we're
3: doing this all for God.
0: Correct. God on earth. <laughs> uh, and it's like the Marines only... Well, yeah, it's, it's like Marines. <laughs> um, as part of the initiation to join the elite Death Angels group, each prospective member had to prove their unwavering loyalty to Yahweh ben Yahweh by killing any white man of their choosing in Yahweh's name. And as proof of the deed, each man had to bring back an ear of the victim to show Hula. Yahweh Ben-Yahweh's most prolific death angel member would turn out to be of armor, standout college NFL defensive end, Bob Rozier. Yeah, get that cocaine. <laughs> Rozier wanted not only to be a death angel, but Hulon's most effective death angel. So on April, on an April evening in 1986, Rosier armed himself with a 12 inch Japanese style knife and wandered into the Coconut Grove neighborhood to hunt for white men to kill. Walking around the grove, Rosier noticed an inebriated man staggering around and followed him to his apartment building. Rosier forced himself inside the apartment and stabbed the man in the chest. The man's roommate, who had just gotten home from work at a restaurant, was also attacked and stabbed multiple times by Rosier. Rozier left the dead bodies laying pools of blood inside the apartment, but he forgot to slice off their ears. So back at the temple, Rozier told Hulon what he had done, and Hulon praised him for it. But he reprimanded him for not following directions and bringing back the victim's ears. Rozier went and did as he was ordered. He went back to the scene of the crime, sliced off the ears off the two dead men, and brought them back to Hulon later that night. Oh, man. Uh, A few weeks later, Rosier and another member of the Death Angels uh, stabbed and killed an unconscious 61-year-old man who had gotten drunk and fallen asleep in his car outside a bar. Fuck. The two men cut off one of the victim's ears, uh, but somewhere along the way, back to the temple, they somehow lost it. They lost the guy's ear. I thought you had it. Didn't you have it? (laughs) I thought you had
3: it. I put it in my pocket. I don't
0: have pockets in these pants, man. This fucking, there's an ear now somewhere. Uh, a human ear. Rozier then returned to the body and cut off the other ear. <laughs> Two weeks later, Rozier and three of the other men killed a 45-year-old man named Cecil Branch, stabbing him 25 times and then taking
3: his ear. 22 was not effective. Fucking hell, man. Was he on cocaine at the time of that killing? Gotta make sure! Gotta make sure! Gotta (laughs) make sure! Gotta make sure!
0: Cops discovered the dead body of a homeless man not far from the uh, Nation of Yahweh Temple on Biscayne Boulevard. Weeks after that, a gay couple was found stabbed to death and earless in their home. More victims were found over the next several months, each of them stabbed, each of them missing an ear. Six months later in October...
3: Wait a second. Was it... I thought that you just had to kill somebody and bring them back an ear just to show that, you know, you were dedicated. Like, now he's just going out and doing this, like, I need to keep constantly showing you my dedication. <laughs> I thought it was just, like, one, and you were in.
2: <laughs> he's, he's like, no, 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 I just said, I just said one was fine. <laughs> all right, I'll be right back. Another seven coming up. I didn't. I don't need all these fucking ears.
3: <laughs> I, said, I said one I'm, All right. Whatever. You want it, you got it <laughs> this, uh, is, this is an ongoing assignment
0: <laughs> <laughs> Six months later in October of 1986 The Nation of Yahweh purchased a property in Opalaka, uh Called the Dirt Road Apartments For a little over a million dollars Once the deal was closed Over 150 Nation of Yahweh members Piled into temple buses And they rode to the apartment building They spilled out of the buses and immediately began knocking on doors, telling tenants to pay their rent now or be immediately evicted. In response, the tenants asked for official eviction notices, but temple members began clearing out the building anyway. They were ransacking uh, any empty apartment they found, and they were threatening tenants to pay up or get out. Many of the tenants, however, fought back, shouting at the temple members, calling the cops, and refusing to leave without official notice. And the commotion attracted local news crews uh, to the scene. Two of the tenants, 28-year-old Anthony Brown and 37-year-old Rudolph Broussard, told reporters on camera that they would challenge the temple's illegal means of kicking tenants out of their homes without due process. So the following night, Hulon sent a group of his death angels to the dirt road apartments. At 10 p.m., they approached Brown and Broussard's apartment and they knocked. When the men answered the door, they told them that someone had hit their car and they should come out and see it. (laughs) When Brown and Broussard came out of the apartment, they were met by Bob Rozier. Rozier was holding a gun. He ordered the two men onto the sidewalk and told them to get down on their knees. Rosier then walked behind the two men, placed the barrel of his gun against the back of Brown's head, and, without saying a word, pulled the trigger, killing Brown execution-style. Broussard got up and tried to run away, but he was shot dead by Rosier in the street. Multiple people in the building and in the neighborhood witnessed this killing. Super, super obvious.
3: I mean, he just doesn't fucking care. <laughs> clearly not.
0: So days later on Halloween night, with the help of the witnesses from the apartment building, Rozier was tracked down by the cops Jesus. and arrested. At the time of his arrest, he still had Brown's dried blood splattered on his jeans, and he had the murder weapon on his person. When the arresting officers questioned him, Rozier would only answer by repeating, Praise Yahweh. What's your name? Praise Yahweh. Did you kill these men? Praise Yahweh. Where were you on the night of the murders? Praise Yahweh. He then eventually told police that he was 404 years old and he couldn't remember his life before being converted to the nation of Yahweh. This guy.
3: (laughs) Yeah, this guy's really coked up. Well, in cocaine years, I mean, he could have <laughs> Time really, really goes fast when you're on cocaine. Uh,
0: so for his part, Hulon told the media that he never ordered Rosier to do anything and that he had been a rogue agent acting on his own accord. <laughs> Hulon, I don't know this guy.
2: I told him one murder, not ten. <laughs> I said one year, one. Cops are like, oh, okay, yeah,
0: Uh, hulon also publicly excommunicated rosier from the temple of love and rosier was shocked by this he had killed at least seven people on hulon's behest and he had served god son of god without question now all of a sudden he was being thrown under the bus betrayed and facing a shit ton of prison time for being a serial killer Rozier agreed to help prosecutors build a case against Yahweh Ben Yahweh and his temple. But it would take another four years to finally bring Yahweh Ben Yahweh down. In the meantime, he kept building on his fortune, kept buying up properties in low income neighborhoods, kept ruling his temple with an iron fist, and kept being loved up on by local politicians. Almost four years to the day Brown and Broussard were executed. In the street, the city of Miami held a rally for Hulon at the old Miami Arena. Jesus. At this rally, then Miami-Dade Mayor Xavier Suarez declared October 2nd, 1990, Yahweh Ben-Yahweh Day.
3: Fuck. Good God, I fucking remember this shit. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Uh, fucking shitheads. I mean, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just looking at uh, the the video because now I know you guys can't see it. All three of us are sitting here with face with face palms, hands on our forehead, like what the fuck yeah. is
2: going on? <laughs> Four years oh. after
3: all this shit, and still like. And
2: I now proclaim <laughs> October second to be Yahweh, be Yahweh day.
0: He's a fine, outstanding uh, citizen. He's a good man. Yeah. Clean out he the street. Clean up the street. <laughs> uh, meanwhile while all this is happening prosecutors are busy building a 14 murder conspiracy indictment against 16 members of the Yahweh Nation and their spiritual leader Yahweh Ben Yahweh and the case relied heavily upon <laughs> Bob Rozier's testimony the
3: 404 year old go <laughs> yeah
2: uh, sir how are you
3: 408 now
2: <laughs> please please tell the, the jury your age i've aged 13 uh, years
3: from the time that
2: hey, you me. <laughs> right.
0: what jury won't believe this man <laughs> a few weeks later after he was named it got a day named after him Uh, hulon flew to louisiana to begin plans on building a new orleans chapter of the nation hulon checked into his hotel and was met by federal agents outside his room who immediately arrested him a month later yahweh's headquarters were raided hulon and 16 others were charged under the rico act charges hulon faced conviction only for conspiracy to murder in May of 1992, Hulon and 16 of his followers were found guilty of conspiracy. He was acquitted of murder after Rozier was discredited. Discredited? But Hulon did receive 18 years in a maximum security prison. In 2001, Hulon was released and returned to Miami, but his activities were restricted and he was prohibited from reconnecting with any of his congregation.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and all the husbands were thankful. <laughs> <laughs> he's opening up a little black book okay <laughs>
2: angela <laughs> <laughs> yeah hello okay got it. okay on to. in
0: 2006 hulon was diagnosed with prostate cancer and then on may 7th 2007 hulon mitchell jr aka hulon x <laughs> a.k.a. Father Hulon, a.k.a. Hulon Israel, a.k.a. Yahweh Ben Yahweh, died. He was 71
3: years old. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy.
0: As for Bob Rozier, he had personally confessed to four of the murders, though additional three murders were connected to him, and as a result, he was considered a serial killer. In fact, he is known as the most prolific former NFL player murderer. Beating out O.J. Simpson. What? <laughs> Come on. So he was, Rosier was sentenced to 22 years in prison. And while in prison, he was uh, put into the witness protection program to protect him from Yahweh Ben Yahweh's minions. And he had his name changed to Robert Ramses. In 1999, he expressed remorse for his crimes, telling the Associated Press that he was sorry for his crimes and he was
2: rebuilding his life. Okay. <laughs> All three thousand years left of it. <laughs> Later
0: that same year, under his new name, uh Rosier was arrested in California for passing bad checks. <laughs> can't get off that check <laughs> game. Man.
2: Just can't get it's delicious. <laughs> can't quit. <laughs> uh
0: Rosier was convicted of bouncing 27 checks for a total of $2,200. Just recently in February of 2022, uh Rosier was denied parole and he is not eligible for another hearing until 2027.
2: That's wild. One one thing of just I pulled up his uh trusty Wikipedia and it said that before all that. He owned an auto-detailing business and worked in web design. Like you know, He seemed to have gotten his, his life together a little bit there. For a little then, minute, and then he had to write the checks. The sweet nectar of bouncing checks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Nation of Yahweh is actually still active. Uh, they moved out of Miami and claimed to have dropped their extreme views, but they still consider Yahweh ben Yahweh to be a messiah. Not the messiah, but a messiah. In 2012, a former member of the nation who calls himself Michael the Black Man, who was one of the 16 members of the Nation of Yahweh who was arrested and charged with one count of murder and one count of attempted murder in 1990, made news by being a vocal supporter of Donald Trump. As a member of the Blacks for Trump I remember this dude. (laughs) Yep, he would often appear behind Trump at his rallies holding up signs and wearing a t-shirt that read Trump and Republicans aren't racist.
2: <laughs> oh my god, the grifting is just crosses racial lines. <laughs> Back to the
0: Venn diagram. The,
2: the Venn diagram is so deep.
3: Oh man, Michael the and Black and Man and he doesn't want to go by his real name. He Michael wants the to the go Black by man. Michael the Black Man. Michael the, Michael Black. the Black Man.
0: Uh, was actually one of the men who were sent to kill Eric Burke. If you remember that part of the story, oh wow! Um, but he was—he also, you know, he ran off when Burke fired his gun. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, Michael the Blackman was also involved in the beating up of Aston Green. Uh, he was one of the guys who beat him up inside the temple. Although he did not go into, he did not ride with the guys to the Everglades. He just. Was part of the beating. He didn't take part in the actual killing.
2: Very best people.
0: <laughs> yeah. In 2016, Michael the Black Man uh, explained his support for Trump by saying, "Quote: One reason is because Hillary's last name is Rodham, and their family members are Rothschilds who enslaved 13,000 slaves as collateral." She also she's also on camera kissing the head of the Ku Klux Klan and saying that's my mentor. That's all on my website. Everybody get that? <laughs> very coherent. Wait,
3: what? That no, oh, whole coherent uh... explanation.
0: Um, Michael the Black Man continues to defend Yahweh Ben Yahweh and the nation's beliefs to this day, and he runs several websites. If anyone's. <laughs> Oh, I see. Yeah. God, Jesus. Uh, And that, my friends, is the story of the
2: Nation of Yahweh murders. Man, what a way to start off the season. This is like, (laughs) he's a biggie.
0: Oh, hey, I forgot to put this in, but um, the sources for this story come from multiple news clippings from newspapers, including the Miami New Times, Miami Herald, A Sun Sentinel, The New York Times, CNN and WPLG. Those are the sources for this week's story. And now, this is me eating an apple.
1: The Florida Man Murders is a five-reason sports production, researched, written, and produced by Chris Joseph. Music by Roger Rimada. All source material can be found by visiting floridamanmurders.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, kids, only assholes murder. So, don't be an asshole.